We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Um, if you um, want to follow along in your Bible, we're also going to put the words up on the screen. Um, but Matthew chapter 3. So we're in this uh, series on Matthew, and I, I chose far too large of a passage this morning. I was thinking about that this week. As, as I, I was thinking, as, as, oh, great, um, we only have five verses this week. And then Gary said, no, you're preaching all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. And it's like, oh, okay, that's a big passage. And I have no idea why I chose that big of a passage. But as I've been working on it, I, I've, um, I've said, you know, they actually fit really nicely together. Um, so, um, so that's where we're going to be. I want to start by reading at verse 13, Matthew 3, 13 and following. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So there's, there's just this, this passage as Jesus is coming to John and you can just imagine this is there are hundreds of people that are gathering at the Jordan River because John has been baptizing people. And, and we're told in the passage before where we were at last week is that it was a baptism of repentance, that he was calling people to confess their sins and come and be baptized. And, and just this, this baptism of repentance, this baptism of the washing away of sin. And if John had one message, if, if it could be summarized down to one word, it would be this word, and it's a word that still applies to us today. It's a, still mes- it's a message that we need. And it's the word Repent. Repent. It's probably not a very popular message, but it's a needed message. And, and so the word is repent. Now, the reason, the message is repent. The reason that John gives us is the kingdom of heaven is near. Some translations actually say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I love that because it's almost like the kingdom of heaven is as close as your hand. Repent. And so that's the reason, because the kingdom has come near. The how, confession of sin and baptism, water baptism, the cleansing of sin, washing it away. It's interesting because in last week's passage, there was also a refusal. As we're told that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and other religious leaders, they were coming to watch the show. But that's exactly how they saw it. They just saw it as a show that that other people were participating in. And John, speaking to them, says, hey, what brings you here? And his message to them is, you brood of vipers. Exactly what you want to say to the people in charge. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think that you can call yourselves, or say to yourselves, is we have Abraham as our father, is don't think that you're okay. Don't think that you've got it put together. Is don't think that you can call on this saint that you call your father. In fact, he's not your father. The snake is your father, you brood of vipers. And so there's John's baptism. One of the questions that we can address is, is what's the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus? And we're told that John, that there's this baptism for repentance and forgiveness, and that he's preparing the way, he's preparing people for the Messiah. And he's, it's to prepare the way of the Lord. And that preparation was a baptism of repentance. And then there's Jesus, the, Jesus, um, the baptism that Jesus commends to us. And it goes beyond repentance, It goes beyond repentance to identification with all of who Jesus is and all that he said and all that he's done. And it's this baptism into his life and his death and his resurrection. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and water baptism? Well, first, let's, let's kind of connect water baptism. So there's John and there's Jesus. Interestingly, the ch- early church saw no disconnect 
between water baptism for repentance and forgiveness of sin and, and the baptism of Jesus, they just naturally work together. And the idea is, is that faith, repentance, baptism, and forgiveness can all be thought of one continuous response to the act of God on our behalf, to his saving grace. And so water baptism, it's present in the Gospels. Um, but at the end of Matthew, Jesus commends it to the disciples. He commends it to the disciples and said, Go into all of the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, water baptism is only mentioned seven times explicitly in um, the New Testament. And then it's mentioned lots of times implicitly, otherwise as it's implied. Um, there's actually seven different kinds of baptism in the Bible. I didn't realize that. Is only a few of them apply to us. But there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And what I would say is, is that it means conversion. It's the life-changing work of God wrought in the human heart. Where we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that's what's signified in water baptism. We're identified with Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection. So we go under the water, dying to self being brought out of the water, new life in Christ. Heaven's opened up for us through Jesus. There's, uh, there's a number of passages about that, but Hebrews 10 talks about heaven being opened up, the, the division between God and us being taken away. And then we receive the Holy Spirit, and that's in Romans 8, 9 through 11. And it's interesting because in Galatians, we hear his voice in our heart crying, Abba, Father. How, how can you know if you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How can you know? Uh, and here's what I would say. Um, that if there was a point in time where you felt the conviction of God, that not just a general conviction of sin, because I think that a lot of people feel that, even people that aren't following God, is there's the general conviction of sin, is, is I had that before I committed my life to Christ. But if there was a time where you really felt the conviction of sin in your life, and so for me, that was when I was in junior high, and I just understood is, is that because I grew up Catholic, I hadn't heard a lot of the things that the person was talking about is, is having a relationship with Christ, and, and, and I hadn't heard sin described quite in the way, but there was just this incredible sense of I have so much sin in my life and, and I just so need God and, and that things are just not right and it's not just with me, things aren't right with my family, things aren't right in the world is, is, is that there's so much hurt and there's so much pain and there's so much sin and just this incredible conviction and then this crying out is, is Father, I need you and I need the salvation that you give me through Jesus Christ. And that, that, that conviction is that crying out and saying, God, I need you. And, and God, I want forgiveness for my sin. And that it was, it was actually a very emotional thing for me. And, you know, some, some people kind of push down that emotional side of things, is, is, but, but I don't. But just that sense is, is I need a savior because I cannot fix myself. I need a savior. And, and, and so what happened is, is that move from this general conviction of is, is just, yeah, you know, I sin um, to this very specific is, is Lord, forgive me for my sin, every bit of it. And then this desire to honor him. And that's something that only God can do. That's a, that's a, baptism, a Holy Spirit work where, where God takes our brokenness, our, our, our heart that would typically be hard towards him and hard towards sin, 
And he brings about a change in our heart, a softness in our heart. That's why the Bible talks about a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. That God brings about a softness in our heart. And then there's this desire to honor him. And I can actually go back to that. And yet, did I struggle with sin after that? Absolutely. But here's the one thing that, that, that was there that wasn't there before is, is that there was a conviction for sin in my life. And that every time I failed, every time I stumbled, whether in small ways or significant ways, that there was a, Lord, I am so sorry. And that's what we would call this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at the conversion that happens that only God can do. And then following that, we would follow it up with water baptism. Both work together. Both should be the result of genuine repentance. And what John says is that when this has happened, there should be fruit that is the result. And so John introduces this when he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, he, he talks about this fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit in keeping with repentance. And so um, the Apostle Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. And, and the version that I memorized it in, it was patience. I like patience more than forbearance. Um, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And I think about it is, is I don't see all of these things consistently in my life. But I see growth in these things. I see a desire for the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of Brian, because the fruit of Brian is a lot different. It, it looks kind of, yeah, not good. But the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning it says, let's allow the Holy Spirit to do his work and let's live in accordance with, with the work of the Spirit. And it says, let us not become conceited. And so the Apostle Paul in Galatians, he's talking about the way that, the way that we once lived and the way that we're called to live is, is that there's a distinct difference. The baptism of the Holy Spirit brings about a distinct reorientation of life. Whereas once this was, this was the way that we felt about things, and there may have been a little bit of conviction about sin, but, but now there's a real conviction about sin because we know that we're called to better. We're really called to a savior who changes us and, and gives us the ability to live in a way that we would not be able to live otherwise. And so fruit of the spirit And that happens as a result of conversion versus fruit of the flesh. Fruit of the flesh. One of the individuals that I've spent time reading and I've listened to one of his talks, he says this, if you see fruit on a tree, you know that it is alive. If you see good fruit you know that it is alive and well. So sometimes you'll see, you know, fruit on a tree or, you know, in, in our parts, we don't see that kind of thing as much. But when you experience the fruit, you know that not only is the tree alive, but it's well. This individual, um, is, his name is Douglas Sean O'Donnell, and he wrote a, he wrote a commentary on Matthew and just reading his testimony, he talks about is, is how when he was young, he was just consumed with lust and, and, um, and just struggled so much with sin. And he, he tells a story, which, which I can kind of identify with. He tells a story about being in high school and, and uh, borrowing someone else's homework. He just really struggled in math. And, and, uh, and so he was borrowing someone else's homework. Now, none of us have ever done that kind of thing, have we? And then he put his faith in Christ. And he felt so much conviction about that. And when I was reading his testimony, as I thought, is, you know, I had that exact same experience. I'd already committed my life to Christ. And, uh, and I, I'm a literature guy. I'm an English guy. I, I can read pretty fast. I, I like all of that. Math is horrible. Um, 
And, uh, and so I was borrowing friend's work. And I can't remember the name of the young gal. Um, she, she also was a believer. I felt very lonely in high school because there were so few people that, that were following Jesus. But she was one. And she was smart. And someone asked to borrow her paper. And I can't remember what she said, but it's almost as though I heard that went honor God. And somehow she gracefully said no, but conviction just came over me. Because here I'd been a believer for probably three years. I think it was my senior year, so maybe even four years. And uh, I had been borrowing, getting help from other people through most of high school. And I felt incredible conviction and said no more. And I quit cheating. You know, sometimes growth happens over a period of time. Anyway, as um, Douglas Sean O'Donnell was sharing the same story, he said he got to seminary and he was taking Greek. And um, he, he had been sick for the final exam. And so the professor had graciously said is, is that if you go to my office, there's a, a, a file holder outside of my door and you could grab the final exam. And he went there and he saw that his final exam was in there. There was an envelope with his name on it, but someone had just turned in their final exam. Someone else had been sick. And he said, I don't know what came over me, but I grabbed both of them. And I went to the library and I sat down and I was going to borrow. And he said, is, is that it's all of a sudden like that conviction came over me and it's, this is not for you anymore. This was you, but it's not for you. And he got up and he took that other person's exam and took it to the professor's file and put it back in there and then went back and took his test on his own. And he said, that, that was the fruit of the spirit at work in me. Just a real distinct is, is a real distinct is, is that what would have been true of me is no longer true of me and God has done something in me. But that's really important for us to understand is, is if there was a signpost that was placed out there and, and, and John's message were on there, it would say, repent, read and heed the sign, repent. And that's something that we continually do. We, we, we bring our hurts and our pains and our sins before God on a continuous basis and we repent. And repentant people who have truly heard and understood and received the gospel, they bear fruit. They bear fruit. They love God. They love others. They show it by how they live. And in so doing, they prove to be Jesus' disciples and they prove that the Holy Spirit resides in them. And we should be able to see growth over time. And I was thinking about that because Levi and I were in Bozeman on Thursday night and we're driving home at about 9.30 and, and, uh, and uh, a four-point buck comes out of the barrel pit and runs past and I think, I'm glad I missed that one. And I hit the dough. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I'm really glad that I dropped full coverage. And, uh, and then it's almost like as I said, Lord, help me. Because my tendency is to get angry. My tendency, and I could actually just see in my mind, getting up and going back and whatever was left of the dough, yelling at the dough and saying is, is what were you thinking? Now look what happened to you and look what happened to me. This just doesn't work. Stop it. Maybe kick it. Like that would kind of fix it. But that's my tendency. My tendency is to get angry and I get angry over things and I get angry over people and when things don't go my way and I literally pray to this, Lord, help me to just trust you right now. Because this is the second deer that we've hit in a few months in our family. So already totaled one vehicle and now totaled the vehicle that doesn't have the insurance. And my tendency is to get angry and to get frustrated with God and to say, God, what, do you not like me? I mean, are, are you mad at me right now? Do you not love me? Does anyone else do that? 
And we're going to find out is, is that, hey, when we go through struggles, it's not because of God's anger. So why? Why repent? Why confess? Why be baptized? And John tells us it's because the kingdom is at hand. And, and really it goes into because we are in the presence of a holy king. We're in the presence of a holy king. And when Jesus, when Jesus goes to the edge of the river, John looks at Jesus and said, I need to be baptized by you. It's almost like he's Isaiah, woe to me, for I am a sinful man. And, and Jesus says, no, you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness refers to the kind of life that's expected of the one being baptized. And one might ask is, is well, does that mean that there was something wrong in Jesus? And absolutely not. Is there are later writers, and even the early Christian church was a little bit embarrassed that, that Jesus was baptized. But that's not it. Is, 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 it's not that there was anything deficient in Jesus. But Jesus is acknowledging God's claim on his life, the Father's claim on his life. And he's acknowledging the total consecration of his life toward holiness and character, and he is obedient and he tells John, you don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to be embarrassed about this. Because John is like, I am not worthy. Earlier he says, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Uh, there was a point when John's disciples were coming to John because Jesus was getting all of the attention. And they're saying, hey, he's getting more attention than we are. And John says, Good. I must become less and he must become greater. And John's pointing to Jesus. Is, is This is the one. This is the one who I've been talking about. This is the one who I would be saying would come and that his, bapti his baptism will be different. Is that he will baptize. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We don't know exactly what John's referring to there, is, is, but it could be is, is that the Holy Spirit, for some, and with fire, judgment for others. But Jesus' baptism is also an example to all of us. In Matthew 28, he urges baptism upon all of his followers. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Interestingly is, is when Jesus is baptized, when Jesus is baptized, it says that as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Remember how I talked about is, is that with, with water baptism, we're baptized into Christ. That now the water doesn't provide the full cleansing is, is the blood of Christ on the cross provides the full cleansing. We come up out of the water, new life in Christ. And then in our spirit, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. This, this picture of the dove, it's interesting because we see it a little bit in scripture. Noah sending out the dove after the, the flood. And that dove becomes an affirmation of God's salvation. Jonah is often called the prophet of salvation, a reluctant prophet. He did not want to go to Nineveh because the people did not need or did not deserve to be saved. And, um, and yet they repent. He's called the reluctant prophet. Um, 
and often called the prophet of salvation. Interestingly, Jonah's name means dove. But then Jesus is the spirit of God coming and resting on him. And it's interesting because it's after that that he proclaims the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You sense the need for baptism? It's the affirmation of the sonship of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Literal picture of it because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, all right, that means no trials, nothing bad will ever happen. Well, Matthew dispels any such um, sense of an idea. He moves right in to the wilderness. And it says then, and this is chapter four, verses um, one and following, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you notice that? Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came to attend him. One might ask is, is what's Matthew's purpose and telling us about Jesus' temptation. Interestingly, this is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we move straight from Jesus' baptism from chapter 3, and then we come to the temptation, the trial that Jesus goes through in chapter 4. And, and his victory over temptation is, is, is very helpful for us to understand because it shows us that we have a Savior who is able to help us when we are being tempted. Hebrews chapter two refers to this. It says that since the children have flesh and blood, he had to share in their flesh and blood so that, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, the devil. And then it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way. And then it says, because he himself suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You have a savior who understands what you go through. Is he was tempted in the ways that we're tempted. And yet without sin. And one might say is, is that he can't really sympathize with us. He can't really understand. Just because Jesus didn't sin it doesn't mean that he didn't feel the weight of sin. The one who resists temptation might be the one who feels the weight the most. And the picture that I'd give you is of a weightlifter. You know, a weightlifter, if they're lifting a heavy weight, one person comes up um, to the bar and they lift it up and they can't, get it quite up, but the other person can get it up and over their head. That person actually feels the full weight of everything. And so just because he didn't sin doesn't mean that he didn't feel the full weight of the sin. In fact, he felt all of it. He felt everything, all of the sin that that was poured out to him on the cross. He felt the entire weight of it is in the garden when he's praying to the Father. It, it says that he, he's praying so intently that there's drops of blood. Literally, the blood that's in his body is coming to the surface of his skin because he feels the weight of the sin. And so I, I, I would suggest that he can understand in more ways than we can ever imagine. His temptation shows us that 
that, um, that he understands. And it shows us what to expect when we're going through the battles that we have. It shows us that, uh, that you know, sometimes we just got to know that we're in the boxing ring and, and, and sometimes we have to be able to respond. We have to know how to defend ourselves when we're in the boxing ring. And so I want to point out five characteristics of his temptation. The first one is this. It was God-ordained, but not God-inflicted. God-ordained, but not God-inflicted. I pause here when I said, as Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Sometimes people struggle with that. But somehow God in his sovereignty ordains what happens in our lives. He allows tempting to happen. But when temptation comes, it comes not from God. It comes from, and in this situation, it comes from the accuser. And so if you look back in the Old Testament with Job 1.8, it's Satan who comes to God and says, it's no wonder Job follows you. Is you've given him everything. He's rich. He has a really nice family. They're all cute. Is he, he, he has this huge ranch. Everything's going well for him. But take away the blessings and he will not follow you. And God allowed Satan to test Job. And Job, when he's literally is, is he's, he's sitting and he has sores all over his body and the pus is coming out of the sores and, and even his wife is saying, curse God and die. And instead he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and someday I will see him face to face And the lesson is, is that if you want to follow Jesus, it does not mean that life will be easy. Jesus, loved by God, was sent into the wilderness. And if you're a follower, you can expect seasons of wilderness. Baptism into Christ does not mean wealth, health, and shallow happiness. It means a life of self-denial, suffering, trials, and temptations. I mean, that's really the full message of the Bible. I cannot promise you that if you put your faith in Jesus and that you follow him, that things will go well for you. In fact, it's easier for me to promise you, this is a great advertisement, it's easier for me to promise you is is that there's going to be a certain amount of suffering that you face that others might not. Is that because you follow Jesus, you might have struggles that other people don't and and you are called to a life of self-sacrifice and a life of service and self-denial. I think that that's one of the, one of the things that got impressed on um, Kim and I. And there was a point early in our marriage where it's, it's like God was saying, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. And that was so challenging, but it's really the life that we're called to. We shouldn't do just anything that we want to do. Is... My, my flesh says one thing, my spirit says another. And when things go bad, it's not because God doesn't like us or doesn't love us. It's because he does. And that he allows these things in our life. But, but those things, and, and when you think about this, is gold is refined by fire. The impurities are taken away. And the beauty is what remains. And when it comes to our life in Christ, we move like Jesus did from our baptisms into the battles. And those battles have a refining process. The other thing, we must be willing to fight. We must be willing to do battle against sin and the world and the devil. For our sin, the world and the devil will battle against us. And so while God allows trials and temptations to refine us, they should pull us forward into God's purposes as he has ordained to make us stronger and pure. Second characteristic, Jesus was tempted when his flesh was the most weak. Is Usually struggles are going to come 
when you're least ready for them. Jesus was alone. He was hungry. I don't know about you, but when I get hungry, sometimes I get angry, hangry. He was physically weak, the perfect victim for a roaring lion. First Peter, you know, be on guard. The enemy is a roaring lion seeking to devour. He's the perfect victim. You know, Peter gave in to temptation. Is, Jesus had just said, is, is Peter, the flesh is weak. You know, the spirit is strong, but the flesh is weak. And Peter had incredible spirit. That wasn't an issue. He said, Peter, it's, this, your, your passion is not the problem. The problem is, is that your flesh is weak. So Jesus goes up onto the mountain with the three disciples. Peter's one of them. And he tells them is, is pray, pray. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Why? Because the flesh is weak. And within, within a short time, Peter is denying Christ. Israel gave in to temptations in the wilderness when she was afraid that there would be no bread. You know, God had promised Israel is, is I'm going to rain down manna from heaven. And you can go out and you can gather enough for the day. And, and on Sabbath, there'll be enough for two days. But do not gather more than what you need. And so what does Israel do? They go out and gather buckets and buckets and buckets of it until it turns moldy and rotten and stinks because they don't trust God. And so Israel failed. Adam and Eve, they were perfect, and yet they still gave in to temptation. They succumbed to temptation. Jesus stood firm. It's really in Jesus that we have the victory that we need. He is the one who stood firm. He is the one who faced temptation we need to take the enemy seriously and be ready to face trials and temptations as they come. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. In Ephesians 6, verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so when you're going through things that they're hard to handle. When you're going through trials, when you're going temptations, it's be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And you can think about Jesus as, is, is, you know, he gives us the ability to walk through really, really hard things that we wouldn't have the ability to walk through without him. And we can remember is, is that he went through more than we can ever imagine. He went through things that we just can't even identify with. Is he was rejected in every way that we're rejected. He was alone, literally abandoned by the people closest to him. Is, is that everything that he went through on the cross. And we're told, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Is that he succeeded where we cannot, where no one else ever has. And so when we, when we need the strength to be able to get through, we get that strength from him. We, we can lean into our Savior who loves us and cares for us and, and didn't stay in heaven where everything was good, but he stepped out of heaven and became one of us. Third characteristic, his, tempest, his temptation was unique yet universal. It was unique. He, he was tempted in the wilderness, literally, we're not oftentimes. He was tempted by the devil. As we struggle enough with just the temptations that come from our sin nature. He was tempted after 40 days in the wilderness. So his temptation was unique because he was. And what the enemy challenged him with The enemy challenged him to lean into his sonship, to lean into who he was as, as the son of God. And so he's tempting Jesus and, and he said, if you're the son of God, if you really are, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, the devil said, if you are the son of God, throw yourselves down, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you up in their hands 
so that you will not strike. Did you notice the enemy's using scripture? The enemy will come to us with things that sound really good, and he's saying, if you are, prove that you're the son of God. Interestingly, that he's saying, prove that you're the son of God. But if Jesus had done that, it would have been to the neglect of his servanthood. The servanthood that he was called to take upon himself to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and save the lost. If he would have said is, is I'll prove it to you. But in proving it, he would no longer be fulfilling the purpose to seek and save the lost. Here's where it's universal. It was unique, but it's also universal. Aren't we all tempted to take shortcuts? To do the easy thing? Aren't we all tempted to grab the crown instead of the cross? Aren't we all tempted to buy gimmicks, get rich quick, enjoy life's comfort today kind of things, rather than to trust God in the everyday and to live under the gospel? Aren't we all tempted to feed the desires of the flesh? which we can just call idols. Aren't we all tempted to move from holy reliance on God and on his purposes to an unholy reliance on ourselves? So Jesus' temptations, yes, they're unique, but also they're universal. Is that we all struggle with these things. We're all struggling with the, the temptation to rely on ourselves and to feed the flesh. And so here's the fourth characteristic. The sword of the spirit shields Jesus and it can shield us. In Ephesians chapter six, in Ephesians chapter six, verse 17, the apostle Paul is talking about the armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord and his his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And you follow it through here in Ephesians chapter six, stand firm with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, your feet fitted for readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith. It's interesting is is that Jesus is, is more defensive than offensive in a lot of ways here. It's the shield of faith. It is written. It's also written. So every time Satan says it's written, Jesus says it's also written. Knowing the word of God can help you so much when you're going through hard things. And and then take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus responded with the word of God. The enemy knows the word of God. In fact, what I find is, is it's so interesting is, is that if I'm not careful, my sin will bring up scriptures that will, will help me to justify sin to the absence of other scriptures that call me to conviction. And so it's really important to know when we're being deceived even self-deceived, which is why scripture is so important. Jerome said about this passage, Jerome is one of the early church leaders. Jesus breaks the false arrows of the devil drawn from scripture by using the truth of scripture. And he extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one. Ephesians 6.16. The fifth characteristic of these temptations. The temptations were tough, but they're temporary. Now here's the truth. When you're going through hard things, you can say, this will pass. 
Now, if they don't, you will. And you get to go to be with Jesus in heaven. <laughs> so, sorry. Just got to point that out. <laughs> so, either way, we win. But it'll pass. After the final temptation, Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. God allows temptations and trials to come for our good. The enemy always plans evil. When you're going through something hard, you can know that the enemy wants to use these things to get you to reject God. That was the situation with Jonah. It's the situation with us. If you're going through something right now, the enemy wants you to get discouraged. He wants you to get defensive in the wrong ways. He wants you to start questioning God's plan. He wants you to start questioning whether God loves you, whether he's good to you. He wants you to question everything but God's goodness. Is that's the one thing that, that we can lean into is, is that God is good. He's good all the time. We sing a song like that. That God is good. He's good all the time, whether we recognize it or not, whether we can see what he's doing in the plan. Now, the enemy is evil, and he's, he's the deceiver of the brethren, and, and he comes and he accuses us, and he will accuse us and say, does God really? That sounds a little bit like the garden. Did God really say, does God really fill in the blank, love you, care about you? And so whenever you hear that, you can know is, is that that's deception. Is God cares about your good and he will use these, these terrible things. And so you look at Joseph in the Old Testament is that he's rejected by his brothers and he's, he's going to be killed, but he's thrown into a pit and they sell him into slavery. And, and just when things start to go good, he, he's churned in for a crime that he did not commit and he ends up in jail again and he's in jail for a period of time and then God begins through his purposes and his plan to work out salvation, not just for the people of God, but literally for that part of the known world of the day. And Joseph ends up being a leader in Israel. And when his brothers find out who he is, they're terrified because they know what they did to him. And he says, what you planned for evil, God planned for good, the saving of many people. And so I don't know how God uses the, the, the hurt and the pain and all of the stuff that happens in our lives, but I know that he is good. And that somehow he uses all of that stuff in order to bring about his good purposes. And I believe someday we'll understand and we aren't going to understand it all now. And there's something just about surrendering that is, is God, I don't understand. I don't understand how you're going to use this. I don't understand how you're going to use all of this stuff that's happened with the way that our world is going and, and COVID and all of these kinds of things. But here's the deal is, is we don't trust in our comfort. We trust in our Savior. We don't trust in our circumstances. Is God doesn't want to change your circumstances. He wants to change your character. And just as the purity, and just as purity comes to gold through refining, godly character comes through his refining fire. And so instead of saying, God, change my circumstances, start saying, God, change my character. And that always starts with submission, saying, God, I need you. That when I do things my own way, the result is just more sin and more brokenness and all of that. And God, I've tried to do it my own way and it just doesn't work. And so, Lord, forgive me of my sins, I repent. Remember, that's the sign that we still need to respond to. Read and heed, repent. It's literally this churn from doing things the way that we'd naturally do them and this churn to doing things the way that God calls us to doing and, and really is, is even though we look back over our shoulder once in a while is to remind ourselves is, is, hey, I need to keep my eyes fixed on my savior who is the author and the perfecter of my faith and to keep our eyes on him and to say is, is hey, Lord, that's the old life. Is, is that's not what I'm called to. I'm called to, I'm called to follow you. And so we keep our eyes on our savior is, is that he was tempted in every way that we can be and he succeeded where we would fail. And so we don't focus on our failures. We focus on his success because he's the champion. And he won the battle. And when the champion wins the battle, we all win. 
And so more important than anything else is, is just really having that conversion experience where we say is, is God, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life in my heart. And I know a lot of people are down on the sinner's player, but guess what? We're sinners and we need to pray a lot. And there's something that happens when we say is, is God, I'm so sorry for my sin. Forgive me for my sin. I trust Jesus. I know that my Redeemer lives and that someday I will see him face to face and that all of these things will be burned away and you will have done the work that you're going to do. And so I trust you. I'm going to trust you each day. When I sin, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to confess. And that his spirit touches your heart and takes that heart, that hard heart and makes it a heart of flesh where you can respond to the Holy Spirit and you can start to have the fruit of the Spirit lived out in life. And when you make a mistake and say, wow, Lord, that wasn't your fruit, that was my fruit. Is, Here, Lord, just let's get rid of this bad fruit. I want the fruit that you have. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in our life. Okay. I went too long, didn't I? Can you hear those kids out there? They're saying, Mom, Dad, let's pray. If you haven't committed your life to Christ, he died on the cross for you. He already took the penalty of sin before you deserved it, before you did anything. You can't do anything to make yourself worthy. He already did everything that you need. And it's just recognizing that he's done it and that you can't do it. You can't make yourself a better person in the way that he makes you a better person. You can work really hard and you can change some things in your life, but only he can change what needs to be changed. And it's the hard heart to a heart of flesh. If you've never committed your life to Christ, then I just say, just say, yes, Jesus. I repent. Yes, Jesus. I'll follow you. Father, thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.